today's show is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible, offering an optimal blend of accuracy and readability. The CSB helps readers make a deeper connection with God's Word and inspires lifelong discipleship. The CSB is equally suited for serious study or for sharing with your neighbor hearing God's Word for the very first time. I love the Christian Standard Bible, and I think you will too. Learn more at csbible.com. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Home Row. We're going to have Eric Geiger on the show, but I just wanted to take a second to say thanks everybody for listening. I've been so encouraged to, uh, to hear from you and your thoughts. And if you have any questions or comments or even suggestions for people that I should interview, uh, hit me up on Twitter. You can follow me and find me there on Twitter at Mr. Metters and just send me a message, uh, do a reply. And you can even use the hashtag home row and I'll see that. And I would love to answer any questions you have. Um, please be sure to leave a rating on uh, iTunes. That'll help. And also you can find the, the show notes to this episode and all the previous episodes. You can find those um, online. And really, I, I hope you enjoy the show. So without further ado, here's Eric Geiger. Eric, how are you, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Man, it's a real pleasure to have you have you here, and I want to just get something out of the way right at the beginning, and I think you are a Miami Heat fan. Is that right? Yes, yes, and uh, you're a Houston fan, right? Yeah, yep. I've seen on, on Twitter, and dude, Houston's, I mean, they're, they're playing really, really well, but what is there any chance at all they go past the, uh, the second round? Um, if we face the Grizzlies, I give us a really good, I, I think we win in five or six. Dude, if you face the Grizzlies, I am going to a game because I'm Memphis is three hours away. I'm I'm actually rooting that the Grizzlies upset the oh, awesome. just so I can watch uh, Harden in, in real life. When you when you see Harden in real life, and I hope it happens, I've gone to I don't know maybe four or five games this year. It's about an hour drive to Toyota Center, and when you see him Eurostep somebody live, yes. it is like the Matrix. Dude, like, he's 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 so good, man. And I I. I felt you know, my heart went out to you when the Heat were on fire after Dude, the All Star break. Best second half, man. Best second half of the I think of the whole NBA. Oh yeah, they were that. If the NBA season would have started after the All Star break, they were yep. a sixty win pace team. I know, crazy. It's nuts. So you won't care about this as much because you know he was with Oklahoma City when it happened. But I mean, I, the Heat. The, people just forget how good Bosh, Wade, and LeBron were. Yeah. They beat. Four straight games in the finals, mm. Harden, Westbrook, and Durant. I know. It's deadly. That's, I think, the, I think there is a real South Beach effect on teams. It, it, yes. It's a I, South Beach effect on everything. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, man. I know we could sit and talk about basketball forever, and I, I had Matt Smethers on from the Gospel Coalition uh, a couple weeks ago. And him and I talked about basketball for a long time. So let's. He's a baller right here, right? Yeah, yeah he's good. He wanted to be in the NBA at some point. Dude, that's awesome. But then I think reality hits. So yeah, it, it hits us all. <laughs> so man, let, for the listeners out there who don't know who you are, would you mind just telling them a little bit about yourself, uh, your family, your job, and what you do? Yep. So I'm uh, married to my wife Kay for 20 years now. I have two little girls, Eden uh, and Evie, nine and seven, and I serve as one of the vice presidents at at Lifeway. I I lead what's called the resources division. So anything that that Lifeway. Um, creates uh, from events to 
content, whether in a, in a book or curriculum or study. Uh, it, it comes through the, the area that, that I lead and, and been here about six years now. Six years, man. What a what a great ride. Now, now books you've written, I think you've written a pretty good handful of stuff. What, what was the first book you wrote? The first book I wrote, which, you know, I kind of feel like Millie Vanilli. I mean, my first book's been by far the best-selling book. And so, like, some would say, dude, you should just stop. You should just stop right then. <laughs> uh, so Simple Church was the first book. And okay. then um, I wrote, wrote a book called Identity, which was who you are in Christ kind of book. Then then followed up with Simple Student Ministry. I'm looking at them right now. Uh, then Transformational Discipleship. Yeah. Uh, Creature of the Word. Uh, now, a lot, most of these were written with people. So uh, Transformational Discipleship was with Michael Kelly and Philip Nation. Uh, obviously, Simple Church was with uh, Tom Rainer. Creature of the Word with uh, Matt Chandler and Josh Patterson. Transformational Groups, which was in the in the line of Transformational Discipleship, was with uh, Stetzer. Okay. And then the last book I wrote with uh, good buddy Kevin Peck. Oh, Kevin Peck. Designed the lead. Yep. Yeah, man, I, I, we just we just got that book, uh, Gifts to Us, at an Acts 29 event, so I'm really looking forward to to going through that. It's going to be super helpful. I, I love Kevin. Every time I've been around Peck, I, I walk away encouraged and uh, convicted and changed. So, man, yep. I can't, can't wait to read it. I'm sure the book is the same. He's he's uh, he's really sanctifying to hang out with. I mean, he's uh, he's super smart, but 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 really uh, kingdom hearted, you know, just through and through. Yeah, that guy. That guy loves Jesus and and the mission to make disciples. No doubt. Now, what's uh, what's something you do for fun? I know I know cheer for the heat is one, but uh, what's something else that Eric Geiger likes to do? Uh, man, I, I if I could, I would play basketball much more than I do. So I I, I really enjoy a couple mornings a week uh, waking up super early just so I can still get everything else done in my life and uh, and playing basketball. Yeah, I love it. I'm. I uh I love to play. I love to follow. And uh, I think it was last season, the Rockets' worst season that I've watched. And you know, since I was a little kid, I was writing for this website on the Rockets. And so that was just a blast to do. Um, and I love playing too. That's cool. Yeah. So you yeah. guys, you guys are right sports basketball. Yeah. That'd be fun. It was a blast. They didn't pay. It was just like a like a hobby kind of thing, like a fan yeah. site. But it was good. It got featured on Bleacher Report, I think, once. And so it was like, Dude, that's yeah, great. it was sweet. And then it kind of game. I read that book, Essentialism. Yep. And uh, it was that was one of the things that it's like this is fun, but I gotta let this go. Yeah. Now, for you at, at Lifeway and and writing, how did how did you become a writer? How, how did how did it come about? Did you dream as a high school kid that you were going to be a VP at at Lifeway and, and writing books? <laughs> was it that crystal clear to you? No, no. Um, I I, I did. Uh, I did write some in high school, but not like I, I never thought about it as something I would. I wasn't. I was in journal journalism class my senior year and enjoyed uh, writing for the the school paper and and then I wrote like creative writing stuff in honors English that got that got you know got submitted to things. Uh, I it, I don't even remember what what the name of the organization was, but I, I I was I did that a little bit in high school, but I would never have thought about it as being something that would be like a major, you know, part, part of my life. And then, and then the first, you know, the first book, Simple Church, it really, um, it was kind of accidental, man. I mean, it was, we, we don't tell many people this just because it, um, people would never have read the book, but it, it started as my doctoral dissertation at, um, at Southern Seminary. Okay. And the data 
just came back so compelling. It's really like a it's like a nerdy research book. And so I I, re- I met with uh, Tom Rainer, who was leading the Billy Graham School at the time at Southern, and said, Hey, man, we got to write a book together on this. And man, he reached into uh, his his pocket, called an editor, uh, and like 30 minutes later, we had plane tickets booked to go pitch the book. It oh, really happened. It happened that fast. I mean, I went in to show him some PowerPoint slides. Wow. And like three weeks later, I'm signing a book contract. So it was, it's one of those crazy stories. And then, and then it, that, that's a, it, it how it happened for me is, is kind of accidental and for sure just, just the grace of God. It really wasn't a, you know, a, a meticulous plan to make it happen. Yeah, definitely not the uh, the traditional route for everyone out there right. listening. Like, oh, I'll, I'll put a nice PowerPoint presentation together for my doctoral dissertation, and I'll get a book deal. <laughs> right, right. Not going to happen. Very rare. Yep. Now, when you when you write, what what is your writing routine? Because I know, I know you write a lot. You have your blog and all the different things that you do at at Lifeway, but in the books too. Um, so when you sit down to write, what's what's your routine? Man, it's for the, the, probably the only consistent thing is I try to block off large chunks of time. Like I, I can't, I can't do like 30 minutes here, you know, 30 minutes there. I've got to, I've got to have a, a, a long, a long runway. It's very similar to like sermon prep, you know, or message prep. The, I need, I need just really, really big blocks of time. And so, for a book, I, I'll just budget, you know, over a six month period of time, a whole lot of those blocks. And then I give myself uh, deadlines within the book that I have to that I have to hit. So like I'm writing a book now that's due September 15th, and I have uh, I have set up a schedule by this by the end of uh, April these these three chapters have to be done by the end of uh, May these now total five chapters have to be done. So I and I hold myself ruthlessly accountable to those uh, to those deadlines within the deadline. Even if that means I have to take a vacation day, okay. or I have to I have to drink a whole bunch of coffee and stay up to two a.m. one, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll I'll treat the the, uh, the inside the book deadlines as as ruthlessly as the in the end deadline. Okay, yeah, man, that's that's huge. So you are a planner. Yeah, and, I, and now when it gets to the technical of the of the of writing the book, that looks different. You know, sometimes I'm starting with. Uh, a real clear thing of what, what, where I want to go in this chapter. And it's super, man, it just feels great. Other times, uh, man, I've, I, you know, if it's going to be a 6,000 word chapter, I, uh, I, I, I don't have a, a, a real sense where I'm going and then I end up th- writing 12,000 words and cut and cut and cut. And, yeah. you know, so it's, um, it's, I think I'm pretty consistent on the macro, but like what happens in each chapter, it's, it's really, it's, it's honestly, it's pretty messy. Do you, do you edit along the way or do you, you know, do you just get everything on the page and then go back in the editing process? Man, I wish, I wish I could, could, you know, a lot of people who have, I've heard people say, throw it all out, throw it all out and then go back and edit. Part of it's maybe a little bit of the perfectionist not a perfectionist all the way, but, but I have a hard time moving on if I don't really like this section. Mm-hmm. And so I, I end up, um, I end up doing some editing along the way more than waiting to the end. Yeah. Well, now when you, when you mentioned the the chapter length, it just made me think for the listeners out there who, who are wondering and may are at and asking this question, what is the average, you would say 
word count for a chapter? 5,000 words, 6,000 words? Yeah, it's good. Uh, I, I think probably six is, you know, five to six is probably the average. So mo- most books seem to be around the 60,000, you know, and so depending, you know, if you're doing 10 to 12 chapters, you know, five to 6,000. Yeah. There are so many things about the book publishing industry that I was totally clueless to when my first book came out in 2014. And I, I turned in, I think it was a 25,000 uh, word manuscript of gospel centered devotionals. And the publisher came back and said, we love it, but you got to double the size. Mm. Yeah. And, so then when, then when did you get to 50? Yep. And do you, do you know why? No. Why? So, so when the book is shelved, there's, yeah, a, there's enough room on the spine for the title to be printed large enough. Yeah. We, it, there's things that are being experimented, you know, more and more in that we are seeing some shorter books hit. So like the one I'm working on now is going to be 40,000 words. So that that's the by far the the smallest book I've in terms of word count that I've that I've written. Uh, so you got you have some more that are trying like the the uh, like Dr. Rayner. I mean he, he, his uh, the ones that have just blown up for him in the last couple of years oh, have yeah. been like 30,000 word books. You know those little hardbacks where they can yes yeah those yep. are great really good. Yeah, I, I think the writing industry is just so so interesting. I learned so much, and I, I'm really grateful for everything I learned through that going going forward, and discovered just some of my difficulties in writing and some of the challenging parts for me. So, for you, what do you think is the hardest part about writing? For me, it's it's uh, I can I can have those um, blocks of time marked out and not. My wife and I call it get in the zone. You know, to me, this when I'm in the zone, oh my goodness, where it's just flowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the hardest part's just getting in that 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 holy rhythm. You know, where it feels like, oh man, this is good. You you just sense kind of like there's times when you're preaching or communicating where you just know it just it feels different than other times. I, I find the same the same thing with writing, and so I would. If there's something, some way you could bottle that up, you know, where, where, you know, when you're writing that, and this is flowing, this is, this is, am I having to force this? It's, it's, it's working. Uh, the hardest part is, is getting into that zone and staying in it as long as you can. Are there any, are there any habits that you have? Do you eat like four pistachios and do a burpee yep. or, or like, you know, <laughs> always at the same desk or what? Yeah. Burpee, then the pistachios. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, man, I wish, I wish there, there, there was, uh, there was that, um, it's not, you know, I've heard some say, so some like, like go to a beautiful place, uh, to write and get inspired. I, I actually find, I, I think, I think I saw, I think, I think Beth Moore either said this or mentioned to me one time, I can't remember where I saw her say it or heard her say it, but that she finds the, uh, basically not to put yourself in that beautiful environment because you can get distracted by, mm. You know, you know, put yourself in more of a bland, bland environment. So that an office, my office at, at the house, or um, at times uh, a hotel room where yeah. I'm just looking at a screen. You know. Yeah, that's good. Do you do you have headphones on? Are you listening to music? Usually, I've got uh, some, and it's not music that has words. It's more like Kenny G. Explode? No, yeah. <laughs> 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 That'd be awesome, man! All of a sudden, this this this, this book feels re- this nerdy stat book feels really romantic. <laughs> no, uh, lately it's been explosions in the sky. I, yeah. I, that that 
that kind of music's helpful to me. Yeah, yeah, me too. What I, about you? What, what do you do? Yeah, I'm, I usually either write here at the the office up here at the church, or there's a theological library down the road. It looks like a castle, and it's just an incredible place to go and hang out. And social media doesn't work there. They have some kind oh, of wow. yeah, some kind of filter on their Wi-Fi where you can't you can't go to Facebook, you can't go to Twitter or YouTube or or anything like that. So that's really nice. Um, and also my desk at home is really great. And so I do probably the bulk of my writing in the morning or, or late at night after the kids are in bed and, and my wife's giving me the, the all clear, you know, work on something if you need to. And yeah. I'll, I'll either pop on my headphones, um, and, and a good pair of headphones that the music sounds nice and has a little noise canceling feature and, or I'll listen to some vinyl. And I, huh. I like vinyl because it's tactile and you can also pass it on. So there's other reasons for that. Like I can gift it to my children, you know, but also when you think about in the future, like you can't gift your iTunes library, you know, to your kids. Like that's not cool. Um, here's your your dad's MP3s or whatever, but with that, you can pass it on. And for writing, as you know, you are sitting at a desk for an hour, two hours. It's just not good. It's not good for you. And especially with iTunes or Spotify, you could be listening to music unending so it's, I like it because I got to get up. I have to go flip the record or go pick a new one. So it's usually every 20 minutes or so I, I have to kind of get up, stretch my legs, go get some more water and kind of come back down. So it creates little kind of little sections of work where I know, okay, on side A of, you know, this, uh, you know, Miles Davis record, I'm going to try to just really knock out as much as I can. Then I get a break. And so it kind of yeah. creates a little nice rhythms for me. That's cool, man. That's good. I like that. Now, in, in your experience of, of writing, and you, you see so much writing through, through your position there at Lifeway and get to observe so many writers, what are, what are the qualities that you think make someone a great writer? That's good. I, man, and I, 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 I do not think I'm a, I do not think I'm a great, a great writer. Uh, I think writing is so, so critical, and I'm so, it's such an honor to be able to see words that that you stewarded or, or people you love that you're helping them uh steward get get in uh print you know in 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 a book uh because that because it it has some enduring factor you know when it gets there uh but when i look at think of great ryan i often think of the same thing about great speaking and great communicating and aristotle would say that there's there's three things you need pathos logos and ethos so passion logic and credibility so to me a great writer is going to be really credible in what he or she's writing about uh in terms of character or in terms of uh, that doesn't necessarily mean like positional authority but there's there's some some moral authority there there's some some cred that comes with uh some weight behind the, who the person is and 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 uh, the person's life experience or the different books, different niches would, would call for a different amount of credibility, but there's, there's credibility there. Uh, and then there's logic. It, 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 there, you could tell someone planned this book out, you know, the writing has, it has a flow, a rhythm to it. Uh, and then there's pathos. It's got a, it's got a bit of an edge to it. You know, it's passionate. There's, uh, it, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna sting where it needs to sting and it's gonna encourage where it needs to encourage uh, so all three of those to me blended together, make really, really strong writing. That's good. It's really helpful. And when, when you get a proposal at, at B and H and I'm, I'm sure that by the time 
it gets to you, it's already gone through. I mean, do you see book proposals? Do those come to you? Or have they already been kind of okay? Yeah, 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 I, I, uh, when they, when, when they come to me, it's it's typically already, uh, already done, you know, stamped ready. Yeah. Yeah. So when, so you know the inner workings of how publishing industries work typically for probably the majority of the people who are listening. And it's, I've been really encouraged by the podcast, which is a, crazy idea I had. I thought it'd be fun to interview a bunch of Christian writers and, and publishers. And just cause I sense, you know, just you look out in the future and that all of the great heroes that are writing today that we look at like John Piper and um, guys like Tom Schreiner and Tim Keller. And, you know, in the next, I don't know, um, by God's grace, 30, 40 years, I mean, there'll be a new generation of writers right. um, who will steward the, the ministry and, and the kind of that public uh, telling of the gospel and encouraging of the church as these guys uh, kind of, you know, go the way of the earth as, as, as Solomon says. And so I just thought maybe good to encourage a fresh batch of writers. So it's been great yeah. to get emails from other writers at different publishers who are writing books right now and saying, man, this podcast is really helping me. Um, or people who have a book idea and want to do something. So for a book proposal, what are the kind of books that, that B and H looks for and what, what stands out? Because I'm sure B and H and places like Crossway and Zondervan, I mean, yeah. they're getting dozens of proposals all the time. And so, so what, what does B and H look for and, and yeah. what stands out? It's good. The, and it's true. There's tons of proposals that come in and as someone said one time that since the advent of the personal computer, everybody, everybody became a writer, yeah. you know, it's, so because of that, you're gonna we're just gonna get bombarded with um with 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 full manuscripts and 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 proposals and and the tension is uh, you you can only um now I'm a, I'm gonna share some stuff Jeff that I didn't I didn't know even when I was writing before I started working at Lifeway so when I was a local church pastor writing I did even though I had a sense of like how this thing happens I, now I have because of my role here such a more full full sense of it so. Basically, you got you got. If you want to put on the publisher hat, you got to think. Okay, there's only X number of books a year that a publisher is going to going to going to publish. And you're like, why? 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 Well, because it's not just because the publisher can't get the work done. It's not because they can't uh, hire up more staff. The publisher is going to take those books and go sell them into retailers. And so, and that market's changing completely. And so the retail market, anytime you're reading something about, you know, just recently family Christian stores going, going out of business, that massively impacts the publishing market. You're like, how's that? Well, because publishers, um, so our publishing group, we have a sales team. That sales team meets with buyers at retailers. And so if, uh, if Jeff is, is a sales guy for B&H, he's got to take a, a, Three times a year, he's going to take a portfolio of books that he wants to sell, and he's going to take it to a, a buyer at a retail chain or an, or uh, a group that represents a ton of indie stores, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he we can only publish as many books as the buyers are able to, to, to absorb into their systems, right? Yeah. And so now the publisher's got, okay, so there's a limited number of books that that we can that we can publish a year, and so we it's got to be it's got to be the right ones. It's got to be ones that and for us, you know, for we're a convictional publisher, so there's there's um, doctrinal positions that we hold to that is the very first the very first filter. 
that we're going to look through. Uh, and then we're also going to, and we're constantly listening to feedback from, the, from individual readers, but also from the accounts that we give books to on the, the type of things that uh, people are, are dr- wanting to read or feel uh, there's, a, there's a gap in the market on this specific subject. Uh, you know, if there's, if there's, if there's three books that we have planned on prayer over the next four years and we get a proposal for a book on prayer, that we're going to, we actually could hurt the other authors that we've worked with by bringing another book on something that we've developed with them for an 18 month period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's a whole lot of things that, uh, that go into play, but so it's gotta be convictional. It's, it, it, we gotta really feel like it hits a need and serving the, the church well. So for us, the church is served and, and it's served with convictional content. That's good, man. That's really, that's really helpful. And it's so insightful. I, I just had a uh, book proposal that went around to a couple different publishers and a lot of them liked it. And with one publisher, it, it made it through all their various rounds and it, it got to the final round. And then in that final round, they decided we like it. it it's just a little too similar to something else we're about to publish. Yeah. And so to hear you say that, makes me go, ah, I understand why. Yeah. And that's not, it's totally common because and think it's then bad for both people, yeah. you know, not just it's, it, so that's the, that's the tension. Um, and sometimes I've seen where we've asked someone, Hey, we love this. Can, can we wait 18 months? Well, you know, me being putting the author hat on, man, no author. That's like mm-hmm. ask it. You know, when we talk about writing a books like birth and a baby, I mean, you're not going to go to a new, to a, a, uh, a woman who's just conceived and say, Hey, can you wait extra long and give birth to this kid? You yeah. just like, you know, that's unheard of, you know, it's yeah. for, for an author who's got this, this passionate message. That's really tough to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, cause I know, uh, I know a lot of the listeners are such a, a variety, some people who are, you know, maybe starting to blog and then some who are, they have book contracts at different publishers and they're writing books now. Um, and some people are totally new to the, to the writing and kind of, I know we're talking a lot about the publishing industry, but and not just writing, there's so much more you can do for, for writing, not just writing, not just publishing books, but would you just share a little bit about how, uh, agents and literary agents, do they matter? Are they, you know, how important are they if they do matter and how does somebody get one? That's good. The, there's a lot of different opinion on that. Um, we work. We have great relationships with agents, uh, so I'm grateful for, for for the relationships that we have. Uh, some authors choose to have one, and you. And oftentimes, an author will say, "Man, I've got so much else going on in my life. I want one point person, you know, that I, that that I deal with, and I and I can trust to, you know, overlook all the contract language and those things." Yeah. And then we have other authors that are like, and even authors that are very successful and who, so it's not like, I don't, sometimes I think people think it's got to be a certain number of sales before somebody would get an agent. That's really, it's really not true because we have authors who, uh, sell really well and, and, and have sold a lot of books, but don't, don't have agents. And, and for, for them, they, uh, they, they kind of want to still be really close to the action and, and can, they can rely on, on a publisher. They can say to a publisher, Hey, can you give me one point of contact there? So where the publisher can, can, can make, can simplify things for that, you know, for that author. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think it depends on the, you know, on the motivate on how much the author wants to be engaged. Uh, do there, is there some things that the author would just like an agent 
to handle, you know. Of course, you know, you give up you give up some uh from a practical standpoint, you give up some points. Yep. You know, when yep. you have an agent. Uh I mean I mean margin, you give up some dollars. Yeah. Like I think for my my first book there was a I think my contract was like oh I can't remember fifteen percent of the book uh sales. And then I think my agent also got fifteen percent. Does that sound right? It was th- it's three years ago. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I, I uh, honestly, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. It varies. It can vary it totally a lot. Varies. And I, as a newbie, I had some other friends counsel me. They're like, "That's not horrible. Like, you should expect that." I'm like, "Hey, cool, whatever." I mean, I'm, I just care about getting the message out. Right. Um, I think that's why the for me having an agent was so important. Um, and the agent that I have now, I have a different agent now, and he's just so great and so helpful. Just because I am not a famous pastor. I don't, I don't have all of the contacts. I don't have, um, people coming to me and, but he has the networks and he has the relationships and the ability to take a proposal and, and to help market the book and to help craft the message. And I think that's a good agent. I feel helps you do that. Um, there's a real partner with you and helping craft the message of the book and helping it really get to the masses because I, I, I don't have, I mean, there's no way I could ever publish a book without the help of an agent. That, that, that's that's good to hear, man. That's helpful. Now, um, let's say you know uh, you're you're walking. You live in Nashville, right? Are you in Nashville? Yep. Okay. So you're at Barista Parlor, or or at Crema, and you're, you're getting some coffee, and uh, a college kid or or an older guy comes up to you, recognizes you, follows you on Twitter. He he's he's heard the podcast, and he asks you, "Hey, Eric, I'm thinking about starting writing. I I just feel passionate about this." What, what should I do? So it's kind of a two part thing. What, what are some books you would recommend him read on writing? Man, I, I, you were, you were kind of sending the questions ahead of time and, and, uh, you know, I had written down thoughts for every, every one of them. But as far as my, my favorite book on writing or what I, I haven't, I don't think I've read a book on writing, which is not good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think you're doing all right, man. No, no. I'm like, gosh, man, I need to. That's, I, I feel deficient all of a sudden with this question. So I, I have not read a book uh, a book on writing, but what what I have said to to people who've asked about writing, and and, and great people have asked have asked, I've, I've I've learned to say, hey, don't start with a book, um, start with a message. And so the person's like, okay, what what do you mean? I'm like, well, start start with something, start with the, with the message that you feel has got to get out. The book becomes just a tool, a means to get that out. But but and start getting that. Go lead an eighth grade boys small group on Wednesday nights with that message. Mm. Uh, start you know speaking at a nursing home with that message. Uh, whatever, do any way. And then the more you speak, the more uh, you actually will hone it. You know, start a blog. Uh, be a guest on somebody else's blog. Uh, that that does two things. One, it will show when if you do want to get a publisher or self-publish, it will show a track record uh, of people being impacted by this content. That's number one. And number two, it will actually help you get better at delivering the content. Uh, if you just start, start with the content, don't start with, let the book be the culmination of the content, not the, uh, not the starting point of the content. Yeah, man, that's really good. Super, super helpful. And I, I always like to encourage people that, you know, don't, yeah, what you said, so good. Don't automatically put your sights on a book, but but the right. message, and especially you know, here we are, we're we're believers in the risen Christ, and we're hopefully a part of local churches and and serving and using our gifts. I I really can't imagine 
a, a pastor in a local church, if someone in his body came up to them and said, you know, I'd really like to encourage our church, would could I write devotionals for our church? And and, and right. you look at them, you make sure they're theologically sound, make sure there's nothing off with them. But I, what would you think about starting a, a ministry or a blog like that at our church? I really don't think anyone... I, I would I would not say no to that person. I'd be like, yeah, great, let's let's do that. Um, there's a group of ladies at our church, probably like I think maybe seven to ten ladies. They started their own little, it's the Redeemer Women's Blog, and they write devotionals and write stories and just just share it for our women. And they are amazing writers. I mean, they're they're really good. I read their blog because I'm so encouraged by it. And so if you're thinking about starting writing, how could you? And there you are in your local church. You can impact people with the gospel right there. People that you know and right. people that you love. Yeah, to me that's 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 where you start, and then you, and then you learn a lot as you go, and then if God if God chooses that that can that can scale into something else and scale into something else, um, that's 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 the route that's the route to take. Thanks, man. Well, Eric, thank you for coming on the show, and I can't promise you that I'll be pulling for the Heat next year, <laughs> but I can I can promise you that I think they're going to be much better next year. Well, I can promise I am I am rooting that the Grizz and the Rockets yes. play each other. Me too. And if I, that happens, man, I mean Rockets. Okay, I don't think I do not think they can they can beat Golden State. I don't think they can beat Golden State. I, but I, Western Conference Finals would be huge. Yeah. Western Conference Finals would be huge. I think we could take them seven games. You all right, man? I just want. I mean, I'm on the record here. I just need you to objectively have the conversation. I mean, don't let your fandom cause you to like say crazy things well we we beat them once in the regular season was durant was durant injured or, or, no, or he, he was playing everybody was playing and we had all of our players too um and then we went on like a 12 game or 11 game winning streak after that um and then i think the next couple times we played them harden had a hurt wrist we, we weren't 100 percent, and the games were still close so I, so are y'all, y'all better without dwight howard better oh, without him? absolutely that that's almost that's almost like asking was the group of the twelve disciples better without Judas? Like yeah, man, like <laughs> we're way better. Wow, I don't know if that's like blasphemous or whatever. No, no, no. But that's that's it's illustrative. I get it. <laughs> yeah, we're way better. I I think yeah, no, no question. I'm I was very happy to see Dwight Howard leave, but he was a great guy for the city of Houston. He did like blood drives and he did all kinds of great stuff for the city. I mean, he he was a, a positive presence in the city. But as a basketball player, it was just a nightmare. <laughs> oh man! Well, again, Dude, we'll, I, I, let's I, start a basketball podcast. That'll be that'll be the next thing I, on the agenda. Yeah, because there's not there's not enough of those. <laughs> Well, that's season three. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, it's been really encouraging to hear from you. So remember, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Metters and just send in a question. Put that there. Uh, my name at Mr. Metters. Put it in your tweet and also the hashtag home row. I'll find that. And I'd love to answer any of your questions about writing. And I'm going to start some new episodes also with some of my writing tips and just kind of quick advice to help us keep going and maybe even mention some tools that I use and we'll have more uh, interviews coming up. And so I'd love to hear about any people that you think I should interview. And if you could, uh, please uh, subscribe to the show in iTunes or there in Google play and also leave a rating. Um, that helps the news uh, of the show.
show spread. And also, why not tell people about the show there on your social media networks, and we'll keep the show going. Uh, thank you guys so much. I'm just so encouraged by, by all the listeners. And uh, let's keep writing. All right. See you.